Welcome to Creation, Myth, or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Hello once again. Since this show is about apologetics, that is, giving reasons for belief in a biblical worldview, we often or usually talk about the evidence in the world around us and how it does or does not fit with the biblical history portrayed in Scripture, how it does or does not support the naturalistic worldview that all there is is matter and energy. And I'm grateful for having been given the opportunity many times to dialogue on these issues with people who are skeptics, some of whom grew up as Christians within a church, others who did not, some of whom have very little formal education, some of whom are highly formally educated, some educated in mathematics and science, others formally educated in religion. And I've noticed that there's a particular trend that often occurs within these discussions, and I've seen this referenced also by other apologists in recounting their experiences, and it sometimes goes the following way. The discussion will initially be about scientific evidence, for example, physical evidence, whether or not it works within a atheistic or materialistic worldview. It's actually pretty easy to point to some rather serious difficulties there and to then point out that those difficulties don't exist within a Christian theistic worldview. Now, the truth is most skeptics haven't given a great deal of thought to these issues. They've simply bought into the often made statements that there is no evidence against evolution And there is no evidence for a creation view. And so they haven't really given it much in-depth thought. And when they're confronted with detailed evidences and arguments, they really don't know how to counter them. They really need a chance to go investigate it for themselves and then continue the dialogue. But nonetheless, what happens is that rather than conceding that the evidence might actually be in favor of a creationist biblical worldview... Instead, the entire discussion changes direction into an attack on the behavior of people who claim to be Christians. So, in essence, the sequence of discussion may be something like the following. The creationist points out there's absolutely no way to explain or account for the origin of life from non-life without a designer. Pure natural laws fail to provide any mechanism for life to originate. The evolutionist atheist then responds, but what about those crusades? And the truth is, this is a valid question, and it deserves being addressed as well. Now, don't think for a moment these issues haven't been discussed in detail by apologists. They have. Most people are simply completely unaware of what their answers are. The most recent issue of Creation Magazine, put out by Creation Ministries International, available at creation.com, this is a highly recommended resource for anyone who thinks at all. There's a great deal of very useful information within these magazines. Many of the articles are written by Ph.D. scientists. And today I want to share one such article, written by Jonathan Sarfati, Now, he's a Ph.D. physical chemist and a creationist. However, the article isn't about science. It's titled, What About Bad Things Done by the Church? And as usual, Sarfati, who is a very clear thinker, does a very good job 
of illustrating what the issues are and addressing the foundational issues involved. So let's take a look at that article. Today we're looking at an article from Creation Magazine titled, What About Bad Things Done by the Church? Written by Jonathan Sarfati. Our Creation Magazine is dedicated to defending the truth of the Bible, especially as it concerns creation by Jesus Christ. In particular, two main logically independent issues that CMI, that's Creation Ministries International, addresses are, one, is creation right? And two, why does it matter? This article mainly addresses point two. In the past, we have frequently supported this point by showing that Christianity has been the most powerful force for good in history. This includes motivating charity, education, abolition of slavery, and science. The evidence is so strong that even some high-profile atheists have conceded that biblical Christianity drove the Salvation Army's charity, and one even proclaimed, quote, As an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. Similarly, T.H. Huxley, the famous agnostic known as Darwin's Bulldog, advocated teaching the Bible to children for its great morality and insisted on this for his own children. Let me add a comment of my own on this topic. A very good friend of mine who's moved out here to Nashville from Texas is the regional development officer at Eastern European Mission. Now, what do they do? They print and provide Bibles into public schools in Eastern Europe, the Ukraine, for example. Why in the world would that be going on? It's because the officials, the public officials in the Ukraine, recognize that they need the morality and ethics that people learn when they study the Bible in order to make their society function better. They see the value of a biblical education. Isn't that interesting? Meanwhile, in the United States, we adamantly insist that within public school or any other public domain, you have to pretend God and the Bible don't exist. Meanwhile, anybody can look at our culture and see what direction it's going morally. Let's get back to Sarfati's article. The next section is titled, The Vital Difference. About the only response that anti-Christians can give is that history of the church has not always been good. The most important issue in reply is this. Atrocities in the name of Christ are inconsistent with real Christianity, which is revealed in the Bible. Atrocities in the name of atheism are consistent with it. Now note, we are not claiming that all atheists are always evil or can never do good things, but that atheism provides no basis for judging right from wrong. Evolutionist Jaron Lanier showed the problem, saying, quote, There's a large group of people who simply are uncomfortable with accepting evolution because it leads to what they perceive as a moral vacuum in which their best impulses have no basis in nature. In reply, the leading atheist and evolutionist Richard Dawkins affirmed, quote, All I can say is, that's just tough. We have to face up to the truth. So here we have a leading atheist admitting that evolution provides no basis for morality. Instead, he and his fellow atheists 
have needed to borrow from Christian concepts of sanctity of life and charity. Similarly, the Jewish libertarian columnist Jeff Jacoby gave a lucid summary of the argument. Quote, Can people be decent and moral without believing in a God who commands us to be good? Sure. There have always been kind and ethical non-believers, but how many of them reason their way to kindness and ethics, and how many simply reflect the moral expectations of the society in which they were raised? In our culture, even the most passionate atheists cannot help having been influenced by the Judeo-Christian worldview that shaped Western civilization. For in a world without God, there is no obvious difference between good and evil. There is no way to prove that murder is wrong if there is no creator who decrees, Thou shalt not murder. It certainly cannot be proved wrong by reason alone. One might reason instead, as Lenin and Stalin and Mao reasoned, that there is nothing wrong with murdering human beings by the millions if doing so advances the Marxist cause. Or one might reason from observing nature that the way of the world is for the strong to devour the weak, or that natural selection favors the survival of the fittest by any means necessary, including the killing of the less fit. It may seem obvious to us today that human life is precious and that the weakest among us deserve special protection. Would we think so, absent a moral tradition stretching back to Sinai? It seemed obvious in classical antiquity that sickly babies should be killed. Reason is not enough. Only if there is a God who forbids murder is murder definitely evil. End quote. Therefore, the corrective for faulty application of Christianity is not atheism, but correct biblical application of Christianity. Given the reasoning above, it should be no surprise that the atrocities committed in the name of Christ are not only an aberration, but pale compared to the monstrous atrocities committed by atheists for atheistic reasons. Some well-known cases in each category will now be addressed. On today's show, we're looking at the article, What About Bad Things Done by the Church, in Creation Magazine, and have noted that atrocities done by Christians are inconsistent with the teaching of Christianity in the Bible, while atrocities committed by atheists are actually consistent with their atheistic worldview. And again, that is not to say all atheists are evil. That is not meant at all. The article continues now by looking at some specific instances of atrocities. First, Christian atrocities. Inquisition. The Inquisition is certainly a black spot. Biblical Christianity, from a human standpoint, tells people to come freely to Christ, not to be forced to profess Christ because of threats. But the Inquisition also must be put into perspective, both compared with the numbers and the culture of the time. Spanish Inquisition, 1478-1834, historians such as Henry Kamen estimate between 1,500 and 4,000 people were executed for heresy, out of Spain's 6 to 10 million total population. So at most, 0.05% of Spain's population was killed. While this is nevertheless deplorable, it means that the Inquisition's rate of executing people 
was lower than that of the state of Texas today, while atheist Stalin often killed that many before breakfast, so to speak. Furthermore, Inquisition trials were often fairer and more lenient than their secular counterparts. Indeed, some criminals uttered heresies precisely so they would be transferred to the Inquisition courts. Let me add a bit of commentary to this. As with the topics in science, the devil is in the details, so to speak. Often scientific issues seem to be very supportive of an atheistic evolutionist worldview until you look at the actual specifics. Similarly, these issues of Christian atrocities often sound very damning for the church, often because people have false beliefs about what actually occurred. Again, look at the actual details. This is critically important if you are at all interested in what the truth is. Now let's look at another Christian atrocity. Salem Witch Trials This was a travesty of paranoia and mass hysteria in colonial Massachusetts between February 1692 and May 1693. However, they killed fewer than 25 people, far short of the, quote, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, end quote, that the late anti-theist Carl Sagan claimed. Further, they were stopped when Christians protested at the travesty of justice in the unfair trials and how they violated all biblical standards of evidence. Even a trial proponent, Puritan minister Increase Mather, opposed the, quote, spectral evidence, that is, from dreams and visions, instead of the biblically required plurality of eyewitnesses. Note, this is required in Deuteronomy in Matthew, and in 2 Corinthians. He also made the statement that has now become a vital part of Western justice, quote, it would be better that ten suspected witches should escape than that one innocent person should be condemned, end quote. So while these atrocities were very real, they may not be quite what you thought they were. We'll be back in a moment. Let's continue with looking at some of the bad things done by the church, and especially getting down to some of the specifics. Now we'll take a look at the Crusades, the most often referenced atrocity. Back to our article. While many people attack Christianity for the Crusades, an increasing number of historians regard them as a belated response to four centuries of Islamic aggression that had conquered two-thirds of the Christian world. The Muslims quickly conquered the Iberian Peninsula, now Spain and Portugal, well before the Crusades. They would have almost certainly conquered Europe were it not for the king of the Franks, Charles Martel, grandfather of Charlemagne. In the Battle of Tours, A.D. 732, Martel's infantry army stood firm against Muslim cavalry and repulsed their repeated charges while inflicting enormous casualties. The Muslim leader, Abdurrahman was killed. Afterwards, the remains of the shattered army retreated back across the Pyrenees and never returned. Also, just think about the historic centers of Christianity, such as Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, and the rest of North Africa. They are now Muslim lands, converted at the point of the sword. And after the Crusades, the Muslim Turks conquered the ancient land of Asia Minor, the birthplace of the Apostle Paul, 
the site of many of his missionary journeys and home of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Furthermore, when they conquered Constantinople, now Istanbul, in 1453, some 800 years after its founding, they turned Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom, the world's biggest Christian church at the time and the center of Eastern Orthodoxy, into a mosque. In this, they were following the example of Muhammad himself. Evangelist Lowell Ludstrom observed, During Muhammad's ten years in Medina, he planned 65 military campaigns and raids, and he personally led 27 of them. In Surah 66.9, the Quran affirms, quote, O Prophet, strive against the disbelievers and the hypocrites and be stern with them. Hell will be their home, a hapless journey's end, end quote. Historian Sir Stephen Runciman notes, quote, Unlike Christianity, which preached a peace that it never achieved, Islam unashamedly came with the sword, end quote. Even Richard Dawkins recently admitted, quote, there are no Christians, as far as I know, blowing up buildings. I'm not aware of any Christian suicide bombers. I'm not aware of any major Christian denomination that believes the penalty for apostasy is death. I have mixed feelings about the decline of Christianity, insofar as Christianity might be a bulwark against something worse. End quote. So in a similar note to the main teaching of this article, while atrocities committed in the name of Christ, such as during the Crusades, were inconsistent with the teachings of Christ, such as, do not murder, the atrocities committed by Muslims are consistent with Muhammad's teachings and actions. Let's continue examining bad things done by the church. How about religious wars? The article continues, it's important to note that religion had nothing to do with the vast majority of wars. For example, the Hutu-Tutsi War in Rwanda, the Falklands War, Vietnam and Korean Wars, World War II, World War I, Gran Chaco War in South America, Russo-Japanese War, Spanish-American War, Prussian-French War, Crimean War, U.S. Civil War, Napoleonic Wars, Wars of the Roses, Mongol Wars, Gallic War, Punic Wars, Peloponnesian War, Assyrian Wars, etc. So what about Christian terrorists? When Islamic or atheistic atrocities are announced, the secular media almost invariably resort to moral equivalents with claimed Christian terrorists. Let's address a few of them. Regarding the IRA, Irish Republican Army, Reverend Dr. Mark Dury, a fellow of the Australian Academy of the Humanities, points out the truth. Quote, the example of the IRA so often cited as Christian terrorists illustrates the Christian position because the IRA's ideology was predominantly Marxist and atheistic. IRA terrorists found no inspiration in the teachings of Christ. End quote. Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber who killed 168 people and wounded over 680, has often been called a Christian terrorist, but he was an agnostic to the end. In fact, his final pre-execution public statement was the strongly humanistic poem Invictus. This starts, quote, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul, and finishes, 
I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Such defiant rejection of his creator is hardly the mark of any Christian, good or otherwise. Also, the news media were quick to label Norwegian mass murderer Anders Breivik as a Christian, but Breivik specifically denied that he was a religious Christian, caring nothing for God and Christ. Quote, If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and God, then you are a religious Christian. Myself and many more like me do not necessarily have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and God. We do, however, believe in Christianity as a cultural, social, identity, and moral platform. This makes us Christian, end quote. He could not be more wrong. So what about hypocrites in the church? Jesus reserves some of his strongest criticism for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but he in no way condemned the righteousness that they stood for in public. Matthew 23 records, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Thus the charge of hypocrisy was not an attack on the morality they preached, but on their failure to live up to it. He actually told his followers to be even more righteous than the Pharisees. We are upset by hypocrisy precisely because we recognize that something intrinsically good has been debased and let down by the hypocrite's failure to meet the very standard he proclaimed. Hence the saying, hypocrisy is the compliment vice pays to virtue. The atheist criticism about hypocrites in the church amounts to preferring that we both say and do the wrong thing rather than say the right thing but do the wrong thing. What about atheistic atrocities? Atrocities committed in Christ's name pale in comparison to the record-breaking tens of millions killed by atheistic regimes just last century. This was thoroughly documented by Rudolf Rummel, professor emeritus of political science at the University of Hawaii, who coined the term democide, meaning murder of a people by their government. 77 million in communist China. 62 million in the Soviet Gulag state. 21 million non-battle killings by the Nazis, including 6 million Jews, one-third of all Jews in Europe. Two million murdered in the Khmer Rouge killing fields. This is many times more deaths than all religious wars put together in all centuries of human history, and this is just for the 20th century. We have previously documented the evolutionary basis for the Holocaust. This includes eugenics, which was so Darwinian that non-creationists Dennis Sowell documented In the years leading up to the First World War, the eugenics movement looked like a Darwin family business. Darwin's son, Leonard, replaced his cousin, Galton, as the chairman of the National Eugenics Society in 1911. In the same year, an offshoot of the society was formed in Cambridge. Among its leading members were three more of Charles Darwin's sons, Horace, Francis, and George. In summary, Professing Christians who committed atrocities were acting inconsistently with the teachings of Christianity. Conversely, evolutionists who committed atrocities were acting consistently with evolution. The term atrocity has meaning only under a Judeo-Christian worldview. It has no meaning in an evolutionary philosophy. 
the horrors of atheistic atrocities in the 20th century alone dwarf all the Christian atrocities in all centuries combined. That's the end of the article. And as usual with good creationist articles, all of the quotes and statistics are footnoted and documented so you can look them up for yourself. One final comment. While it's certainly true that Christian hypocrites are not a logically valid argument against the truth of Christianity, you also need to note that the existence of Christian hypocrites is actually predicted in Scripture. The New Testament talks a great deal about professing Christians who have yet to change their lives such that they live consistent with the teachings of Christianity. That is the major challenge for all of us who claim the name of Christ. See creationmythormiracle.com for additional info.